Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings on this lovely Lord's Day in the name of our beautiful Savior Jesus Christ. Greetings. The scriptures tell us that His mercies are new every morning. But not only are they new every morning, but they are tender mercies. Everybody say tender mercies. The Bible says with loving kindness that He reached down to strong arm and He gently picked us up and lifted us out. Of the miry clay of sin. That today he is calling softly and tenderly he is calling. Calling sinners to be saved once again. All together we gather like tiny chicks under his wings. Sometimes unaware of the darkness and danger. That lurks safe under the sheltering wings of our Lord. Isn't that kind of a gentle picture of God? Tough and surly as the famed giant killer was, David the psalmist was also very gentle as he played upon the harp. and He sang skillfully to God. It's kind of hard, really, in my mind to picture the man who cut the head off of Goliath, you know, who faced him down with courage, being a songwriter, Harp player. I mean, when I when I see Sarah playing the harp, I'm like, okay, that's that's what that's what a girl, that's what someone who plays the harp should look like, right? Like an angel, you know. And she's up there, and you know. But David uh, was the one who was known for this. In Second Samuel, uh, chapter twenty-two, David had just come to a much needed moment of rest in his life. He had been under the constant uh, barrage and onslaught of Saul trying to kill him, Uh, different things happening in his life. He was running, he was going through difficulty, his mighty men were in ziklag, and he, you know, just thing after thing after thing, and finally King Saul was dead. Uh, He had taken and, you know, he thought that was going to be the end of it all, but some people stole the bones of King Saul and Jonathan, and he had to get those back, and he did. Then the brother of Goliath and uh, Goliath's four sons vowed to kill David, and David's mighty men said, please don't, don't, don't fight him. Let us do it. And his mighty men went, and they killed Goliath's brother. They killed the, 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 the four giants who were sons of Goliath. And at the end of this, David responded, Steve, can you picture this? By stopping in his moment of rest, kind of like we talked about up in the woods, you know how you look for that place, that time when everything stops and you're there, and he began to sing a song. What a lot of people don't realize is that Psalm 18, Andy, Psalm 18 is the song that David sang that day. And if you go to 2 Samuel 22, you will read word for word as David sang. And now I put here in my notes... That if I was brave, I might try to sing this psalm in a gentle and tender and sweet way like David did. Now, I'm not actually going to try it, but I want you, as I read the words, maybe I'll be inspired as I'm reading the words to maybe hear a tender melody in it all. But David said this in Psalm 18, and as he also had sung in 
uh, in this moment of rest in 2 Samuel 22. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock, in Him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my Savior, and Thou savest me from violence. I'm not a musician, but you know when I had heard this before, I would not have thought of the song being really as gentle and as beautiful as it probably, probably was. He said, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and so... Shall I be saved from mine enemies? When the waves of death can pass me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. Sorrows of hell can pass me, and the snares of death prevented me. But in my distress, I called upon the Lord. Isn't that what happens when we come to a place where we really feel overwhelmed? We call unto the Lord. He said, I cried unto my God and he heard my voice out of his temple and my cry did enter into his ears. I think it's funny that David mentions God's ears. We know God doesn't have ears, but God became more like a person to him. He could almost see God's ears uh, leaning down when he cried because uh, I don't really think David, when he said he cried, I don't think he's saying that he screamed. Because sometimes when we cry, we really just can't talk that loud. Anybody know what we're talking about? He said that my cry entered into his ears. The earth shook and trembled and the foundations of heaven moved and shook because God was angry. There went up smoke out of his nostrils, fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed. The heavens also came down and darkness was under his feet. He rode upon the cherub and he did fly and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. What David is saying is that when God heard my lament, when God heard my distressful, mournful cry, that heaven began to move and the power of God was unleashed, is what he's saying. He made the darkness pavilions round about him, dark waters and thick clouds in the skies and Through the brightness before him, there were coals of fire that were kindled, and the Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent arrows down, scattered them, lightning, and discomfited them, and the channels of the sea appeared. The foundations of the world were discovered at the rebuking of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from above, and he took me, and he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from a strong enemy, and from them that hated me, for they were too strong for me. Can you hear David's weakness and gentleness here? They prevented me in the day of calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth into a large place and delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands. Hath he recompensed me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from God. For all his judgments were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was upright before him and have kept myself from iniquity. Therefore, the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyesight. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. And with the upright, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the forward, thou wilt show thyself to be unsavory. The afflicted people thou wilt save, and thine eyes on, were, are haughty, and that thou mayst bring them down. For thou art my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord will light my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop. By my God I have leaped over a wall. And as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust him. For who is God, save the Lord, and who is a rock, save our God? God is my strength and power, and he makes... My way perfect, and he makes my feet like hinds feet, and he setteth me upon my high places. He teaches my hands to war, so that the bow of steel is broken in my arms. And listen to this. Thou hast given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness has made me great. Let us pray. Lord God, make us great today by your gentleness, O God. Lord, you are not gentle to those, of course, whom you are destroying, O God, but to us, your children, we are like your little ones, the ones who you hold close to you, the one whose ears we whisper in, 
the one whose hands, instead of come to us for hurt, come to us for comfort. And oh God, we come to you today for comfort, for we need it. We come to you looking for your gentle hand to touch us because we long for your touch. Lord, I pray, Lord, as we gather together that you would come to us softly, that you would speak to us, that you would feed us, that you would change us, and that you would send us out to be gentle men and women for the kingdom of God. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said... Probably one of the shortest texts that I've had in a really long time, and I know we've heard a lot of God's Word today. We're going to hear some more. My text for you today, my my sermon title today is Gentle Men. Not gentlemen, but gentlemen. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 is my text. Matthew 10, 16 says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We long to hear your voice today as the word goes forth from this pulpit. Lord, let it be in the power of your spirit. Help us to hear it, to understand it, Lord, and infuse in us, Lord God, your gentleness. In Christ's name we pray, and everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week we started talking about how Jesus sent out the twelve. They were the twelve disciples at first. They later became the twelve apostles. These men, mostly from Galilee, mostly fishermen were sent out from Jesus to preach the message of the kingdom of God that it was come to earth. Where God's kingdom, he told them, would not come as the result of warfare, or at least not physical warfare as uh, Brother Andy read for us today, that we, we are in war, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not something that you can touch. God's kingdom would not come as a result of warfare or political power, but through the foolishness of preaching. What seemed to be powerless was indeed the power of God. As the Apostle Paul later said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is what? It is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Preaching the good news, the good news of uh, the Word of God, done so by the power of the Spirit would bring life to dead men's bones. Those who are dead in their trespasses and sins would rise up to walk in newness of life like Ezekiel's uh, dry bones in the valley uh, where he began to preach. To show them and the whole world that the kingdom of Christ would not come through the will of flesh, as John puts it in John 1, but through the will of God. God called the unimportant, the weak, the lowly, and those who earthly wisdom Uh, would never have called to be God's ambassadors of this kingdom. Not only did he do this, but he stripped them of everything. Remember we talked last week, the list that Jesus laid out. And honestly, as I was thinking about it, I was sitting in my truck waiting for my family to come to the car after I got done preaching, and I was thinking, you know, it's an amazing thing. This is certainly not an Eastern religion This is certainly not a mystery religion. This is the religion of a personal God who deals with His people about personal things. Because as He's sending them out to be the ambassadors of the kingdom, to preach the Word of God, He deals with their wardrobe. He talks to them about their shoes and their clothing and their staff in their hand. Isn't that amazing? It was amazing to me to think about what a detail. We think that Things, small things don't matter, but they do. Not only did he do this, as I said, he stripped them. Take no money, no script, no Bible. Don't even plan on uh, what you're going to say. He stripped them of their Bible notes. 
He stripped them of everything that would give them the idea that they could have confidence in their flesh. They were dependent on the spirit of every city at every door. He told them, don't go door to door, but go into a city. And when you get there, if, if the person that you meet rejects you, then reject the entire city. Dust your feet off and leave. Is that just... It would almost feel like this, is, this mission cannot... How could you... You want me to go and do what? And if this was not enough... He would not allow them to fight. Now, it's, it's, it's one thing to send a band of Israelites to go fight, you know, Egyptians with chariots. And they have at least have some weapons, right? But God was sending them out with telling them they weren't allowed to. He told them that he was going to send them as sheep among wolves. How many can tell me the, you know, how big... You know, and scary is the biggest and scariest and toughest sheep you've ever seen. Anybody ever seen a big, scary, tough sheep? You think any wolf ever got afraid of a sheep? I don't think so. Uh, sheep basically are, you know, they like pass out. They, they get scared. They run into walls. You know, they're, 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 the, they're the most timid uh, things out there. Ezekiel's dry bones at least became an army. Do you guys remember that? And they, they went out and, and they fought. David, even though he was, God took this little guy, right? You know, this is not a matter of little and big, of, uh, you know, uh, not very good weapons against, uh, you know, some weapons. This is, this is, you don't even get to be David. You don't even get a sling. You're not even allowed to throw a stone. You're not allowed to pick up Goliath's sword. You're not allowed to fight. You're to be harmless. Everybody say harmless. Harmless, harmless as doves. This is, he's handicapping these people from the get-go, right? Do you know that's what God does to us? Else, when we succeeded at what he is actually doing, we would get the idea we were doing it. But God did arm them with something, a weapon of warfare that couldn't really be seen. And this weapon that he armed them with was a character of his own. He told them that they would win the battle of the kingdom by being gentle men. Everybody say gentle men. Now, in the garden, there are things that you grow that you normally you don't eat by themselves. But you eat with everything else. Like, kind of like onions, right? I mean, there are strange people. I had a cousin, you know, he liked to just eat onions or whatever. And... And I know some, some hillbilly folks like to, they make beans and then they like to, they eat, just eat the onion. I know, I know that's true. But, but I'm trying to kind of make an example here. You know, with onions, you put in this and you put it in that and you put it in this. It's not, onions is not the main course, right? What are we having for dinner tonight, honey? We're going to have onions. You know, I mean, nobody's going to go, oh, wow, that's, that's fantastic. I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, but if you found out there were onions in everything that you were eating, you'd be okay with that. You know, you had green beans with a little onions, that'd be all right. If you had, you know, your roast and it had potatoes and it had a few onions, that, that'd be all right too. You really can't overdo it on that, right? And gentleness uh, is like that. It is, needs to be in everything that we do. It is not necessarily the main thing. It is one of the things that accentuates everything that we do. Uh, when you're hurt, you want the gentle hand of a nurse or a doctor to delicately sew you up, right? No gentleness is despised there. It's not thought of as weak. You're kind of like, I'm glad that I don't have what? What, Nurse Ratchet? Is that what y'all saying, you know? I'm glad we don't have her. You know, come here, you know? Uh, you're, 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 you're hoping that, you know, when you're dealing with a newborn baby, you know, uh, gentleness comes in handy. In fact, you expect, and I know not all women are so, and you should, you should feel bad, uh, but you, you, it, from women in general, you should expect some level of, of gentleness. But these 12, they were not women. They were men. Everybody say, they were men. Now, they weren't just men. Because there are men. We have men in this church. And some of these men are kind of gentle. And, but I don't, I don't think you really comprehend the kind of men that these were. These were not just men, but they were working men. They were not just working men, they were fishermen, okay? 
they were rough characters. And you might go, well, I don't know about that. Well, I, I do know about it. I, I have been a, a roughneck, or at least around some roughnecks. And when you get around men who do hard work, uh, those men are a little bit different than other guys. Okay? Men, the, as I told my wife, I said, you know, the term lusty lads is going to make it into my sermon today. I said, these fishermen were lusty lads. They were callous hands, right? They would drink deep of life when they weren't working. You, you almost feel like you have to say an accent when you say that, right? Lusty lads. They were men who were used to pain. Uh, they were men who no doubt braved storms at sea. Men who have been cold and hungry. Gentleness might seem to be far from fellows like this. And it was. But God was calling them to be gentle men. Everybody say gentle men. The foundation of the kingdom of God would be built on gentle men. The twelve were sent out to be men such as that. In the prophets we see that this has always been a part of God's character. But in Christ and His twelve, it would become flesh that would dwell among us. And we would see what God calls all of us to be as those who are called out to do kingdom work. God is calling you to be a gentle man. Yes, you're supposed to be tough and strong and brave and all that, but at the same time, gentle. Isaiah 40, verse 11 says, Like a shepherd, talked about Jesus, he would tend his flock. In his arm he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom, and he will gently lead the nursing ewes. I mean, when you're dealing with a little baby that's been born, a little lamb, what do you got to have, Steve? gentleness when you got a little chick or a little baby duck and and i know the duck's probably a sad subject at the foise house right now but but you got to have be gentle right isaiah 42 speaking of the coming messiah he read earlier but i'll reread this part of it it says behold my servant whom i uphold mine elect in whom my soul delights i put my spirit upon him and he shall bring forth judgment to the gentiles he shall not cry nor lift up his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street He's talking about there are people that, that like to fight. They like to argue. They like to be heard in the street. And they like to be, you know, like that. And they said, you know, Jesus isn't going to be like that. I'm not saying that some of his servants maybe aren't called to do that from time to time. But Jesus was not like that. Verse 3 says, a bruised reed shall he not break. Has anybody ever encountered a bruised reed? I spent a lot of time in water. Growing up, I lived next to a gravel pit and there were all these little ponds around and, and we would use the reeds sometime to make little breathing straws and we would, you know, I'd seen some episodes of Daniel Boone or whatever, you know, and, and so all of the, all of the, the little ponds had these cattails. If you don't, if you want to know how to do this, I will tell the kids later how to do it. Could scare your mom pretty bad, but, but, but I definitely will. You can make like a straw, a really long one, and you can go like, and like lay on the bottom, you know, and like breathe out of it and hide yourself. It's pretty cool. Daniel Boone taught me how to do that. But a bruised reed, basically, if you do it wrong, the, the, the cattail, as it goes up, it's got the heavy deal on the end. If you take your finger and you just kind of squeeze it, what will the cattail do? It'll go, you know? And so this thing that's strong and is holding this up now, it's a, it's a bruised reed. Once that happens, can you, can you set it back up and fix it? Everybody say, you can't fix it. <laughs> a bruised reed is a bruised reed. He talks also about a smoking flax. He's trying to talk about the weak and gentle things. That even though this reed would be bruised, you know, he's not just going to rip it off. And even though the flax, the, 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 the smoking flax, not, there's no fire even to it. He's not just going to, you know, grab, you know, put a little wetness on his fingers and just puff it out. There's that gentle little spark in there and he's going to keep it, he's going to keep it going. Now we know this is what it means and we'll, I'll show you here in, because the scripture says this was fulfilled later on. In the book of Matthew, actually, a couple chapters after our text. Elijah, the prophet, had heard uh, about Jezebel. And um, oftentimes God reveals himself to his people and he revealed himself here to Elijah. He had heard about the evil queen Jezebel's vow to kill him. He ran to Beersheba with his servant and he left his servant and went a full day's journey into the wilderness alone. And he sat under a juniper tree, and he asked God if he could die, and he said, because I am no better than my father's. Now, 
What, what kind of a scene is this? Is this a, is this a tough guy scene or is this a pretty tender scene? He's scared. He thinks he's going to die. He's, he's, he's got the servant that's normally with him, but he leaves him. He goes a full day's journey, and then he goes and sits under a tree and asks God if he can die. Now, how, how, do, you, how, how do you think this guy was feeling? He was feeling really low. Would you describe him maybe kind of as a bruised reed? I think I would. Now, it wasn't time for him to go quite yet. And so he's there, uh, and he's feeling really low. And I really think that, interesting, in First Kings, you can read about what happens. It says, he came, once he got out there and he sat on this tree, he came, there was a cave, he lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing? I always think it's funny when God asks somebody what they're doing as if God doesn't already know. God knows what Elijah was doing. He was having a pity party. He was feeling sorry for himself. But, you know, we could, we could say that in a dismissive way. But every single one of us has been right there. And what you don't need is for someone to come up and go, Hey, snap out of it. You know, get tough. Get up. And that's not what God did. God just asked him, why are you here? Now, God knew why he was here, but he needed the prophet to, to hear his own self say it. And sometimes we need to think about what we're so despondent about. He said, I've been jealous for the Lord God of hosts. The children of Israel has forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, slain thy prophets with a sword. And I even only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. He was thinking about how good he was. And he was thinking about how he was Israel's only hope. Now, we could blast him for this, but, you know, I'm telling you, every one of us has been right there. You know, part, you know, when, 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 my, when my back was out, I'm so mad because I feel like the church needs me. I feel like my family needs me. Uh, Andrea gets depressed sometimes because she feels like she's a horrible mother. She's not providing for the needs because she feels like it. all the weight of all of it is on her, right? And that's what we do. We forget that God... Is his strength is made perfect how in our weakness, and so we get we get despondent and we get sad and we become like the bruised reed and we're there and we just can't go on anymore we can't take it anymore and God doesn't come to us and kick us in the pants. So you know what God said? He said He said I even only am left. They seek my life to take it away, and He's. He's like, you know, this is it. I'm at, my, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the very end. I don't know what to do. God said, why don't you go and stand on the mountain over there? So he's used to doing what God says, and so he goes over there. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains. And it break to pieces. I mean, can you imagine a wind so strong that it blows the rocks off the mountains and breaks rocks. I mean, I, I've, I've never seen a wind like that. But you know what it said? You guys remember this? He said, but the Lord, everybody say the Lord. Lord. He wasn't in the wind. God was teaching Elijah something right here, right now. He was teaching him what God was, was really not what he thought. So you know what God did? It says, and after that, there was an earthquake. How, how many of you think, I mean, when you, when you, you know, I've never been in an earthquake, earthquake. I've been in a little earthquake a couple times. And, you know, there's, I, I remember once in West Virginia, once, you know, at, at our home in Ohio, my dad thought we were wrestling in the other room and he yelled at us, you know, and, and it was an earthquake, you know, but I don't think it was anything like this earthquake, but everybody say the Lord was not in the earthquake. What do you think God was trying to tell him? You see, he was looking for God to come in a strong way, in a powerful way, and he was showing him some strength and power. Wind, earthquake, right? And after the earthquake, there was a fire. Everybody say, but the Lord was not in the fire. It says, but after the fire, there was a still, small voice. And if you look in some translations, it says, there was a gentle whisper. Everybody say, after the fire, there was a still, small voice. voice. 
And it was so that when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood at the entering of the cave. You see, God came to this bruised reed of a man, this man who was discouraged, this man who thought, I mean, could you imagine being, you know, God's man, he sent you to do his work and you go, you go, the church is empty, you go to the CPC Presbytery and nobody's there. And you go to all your friends and they're all denying the Lord and you think you're the only one alive. You can discount this story, but this is a story of great, great despair. And God came to him in a still small voice. Matthew ten sixteen says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Vulnerable, gentle, harmless, yet wise. The dove has always been a symbol of purity, faithfulness, and guilelessness, gentleness. It was the only bird that could be offered as a sacrifice in the Old Testament. And from the time of Abraham, pigeons and doves, which in the scriptures, they're basically the same thing. They were used as sacrifices. Even a poor man could provide a pigeon or two for the offerings of the Lord, just as Joseph and Mary did at Jesus' circumcision when he was eight days old. I believe There was a picture in that. In their poverty, instead of bringing a strong bull before the Lord, they were only able to bring these little turtle doves. You guys remember that? Doves, as we know, they mate for life. They share nesting duties. They express their affection. Can can anyone do do a dove? Can anyone do a dove here? I can do a pretty good dove. Can you guys do it? All right. Oh, he, he's actually he's had the wings down pat over here, okay? If you just had a light behind it, right, you could, you could do it. You know. I used to, as a kid, I used to sit and listen to birds. And, and I remember that, that uh, you know, my parent. I, I had a BB gun, and I was always shooting birds. I should have never done it, but I did. And, but my parents, they told me, they're like, don't, don't, don't shoot the doves. And, uh, you know, the doves, they'll, they'll go and they'll set two by two up on a little wire. And that's their partner for the rest of their life. Birds of prey attack and, and different things. But a dove, even when it's being taken in death, you know what? A dove never defends itself. Never. They just, they just go. Some birds, you know, they'll whack you. And what, not a dove. A dove won't do that. These gentle birds... Uh, never resist or retaliate in their enemies. Even when their babies are attacked, the doves, they cry out in a distressful, mournful cry. But they don't attack the attackers. Now, what in the world is Jesus talking about? See, Jesus didn't tell them that when they went out, he was going to give them supernatural power in such a way that they would never die. What do we know about every one of these 12? Every single one of them but one. What do we know? They were all killed. Every one of them. He told them, I'm sending you out to die. And these were not 70-year-old men. They were young men. They were younger. Uh, They were probably in their 30s. Maybe 40s. At the early 40s. They were all going to die. He was explaining to this that what is about to happen to you is not, it'll be, it'll be very contradictory in your mind. There will be times you raise people from the dead. There will be times when you do mighty things. You know, Paul was bitten by the poisonous snake and he shook it off. But there'll be a time when they come for you and they take you. They cut your head off. They burn you. They hang you upside down. They, like we talked about last week. He explained to them that his calling was for them to die. And he was calling them in a gentleness to serve. This picture of God's gentleness can be seen in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's also symbolized as a dove. We find that God's Holy Spirit, I mean, sometimes, you know, my kids, and I could tell you which kids this week I wanted to get, you know, by the neck and shake them a little bit, you know. But, you know, God doesn't do that to us. I also wonder why he doesn't judge. Why doesn't he just shake us, you know? And 
why does he do this to my kids? They really need sugar, you know? I whoop them and it doesn't seem to work. But I have noticed that what God does is he gently and he sweetly, you know how the song says, he sweetly drew us in? That's what he does. There is a power in that that cannot be, uh, that cannot be overpowered. Gentleness, as we know, is listed as a fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. I mean, when I think of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, these are all, these are, these are great things, right? But then it says gentleness. It almost seems like he threw it in there. And, and if you think gentleness just means meekness, then listen to the list again. Ready? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, Right? Goodness and meekness. Wait a minute. He just said gentleness and meekness all in the same one. There is a subtlety to what this gift of gentleness is. And it is a harmlessness, a innocence, like a pureness. There is a power in the beauty and the gentleness and the purity of a life lived for Christ. You know, I... I don't know, Sarah, I don't know if you're as angelic as you look when you're playing that harp. But there's something very powerful. And I I don't want to get y'all worked up emotionally in a sense, but in a sense I really think that, that it's all right if you do. But I'm telling you that when you are in the deepest of despairs, and I have been there, that there is nothing that can comfort you like the gentle cheek of a little child. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe some of you don't. I thought it was funny that Andy mentioned something up here about holding hands, Andy, but because I was going to talk about it today. And there's something extraordinary and powerful about holding a hand. You might go, oh, well, it's, 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 it's not. Oh, it is. There are some times when you just, you got to reach over and you got to touch them. Not to get you too deeply into my personal life, but I like to take my, my foot and just kind of just gently touch the bottom of my wife's foot when we're in bed. Oh yeah, you can make fun of me. There is power and comfort in that that is... Maybe you just got to get older to understand it. Maybe some of you kids are, maybe you just don't get what I'm saying. But I, I think maybe there are some big people here that, that, that understand. When people are hurting and they're mourning and when people are in despair, oftentimes words can't really do anything for them but a caress, a gentle touch. Even a holy kiss, something gentle, has a great power. Matthew eleven twenty nine says, Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am gentle and I am humble in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. In Matthew 12, just a little bit after our text, there was a man whose hand was crippled and he, Jesus restored it. The Pharisees went out, they held a council. I mean, really? I was very interested in what happens next. Everybody say, Jesus withdrew. I read a thing by Bunyan that really kind of surprised me. Bunyan says, some people think it's more bold to stand and be killed for the sake of Christ. And he said, I think it's just as godly sometimes to run for your life. He said, and when you escape, you should laugh. And he said, and when they catch you, you should laugh. And he said, and if they catch you because some man has turned you in, don't be angry with him. He said, your gentleness will disarm the hatred of your enemies and shut the mouth of the devil. Jesus 
ran sometimes. And you might go, he wasn't running. He wasn't running from the fear of them, but he was withdrawing because he was called to be gentle. Could you imagine if Jesus had fought somebody? Come on. Gentle Jesus speaking my If Jesus had said something harsh like we would say, you know, their head would fall off or something. Say, I mean, he's powerful. He's all powerful, right? He couldn't respond to them like that. He would kill them. His very words. The breath of his mouth would be like fire. The Bible says that fire, like in the book of Revelation, fire is like shooting out of the Son of God, right? But what does he do when they want to kill him? He withdraws. Everybody say it again. He withdraws. He withdrawed from there and the great multitudes followed them and he healed them all. He knows that what he's doing is going to get him in trouble. But he, so he withdraws away and all of those he's there, it says that he had compassion on them and he healed them. He knew it was going to make his life difficult. And so he ran from the people that were trying to hurt him. And then when he withdrew, he healed them. But he said, can you not tell anybody? Jesus didn't want to fight. He wasn't there to fight. If he had been there to fight, trust me, he would have won. But he wasn't there to fight. Not like that. Everybody say, not like that. He charged them that they should not make it known. And it says that it might be fulfilled. And if you think Pastor Mark's reading into it, what isn't there? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. What? What I just read for you out of Isaiah. Behold my servant who I am chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. Now, the the gospel writer here, Matthew, adds into this what is not said in Isaiah. It says, he will not fight and cry. Neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. He's saying, he isn't going to stand and have a big yelling fight and try to outsmart somebody and out-tough somebody and out-trash-talk you know, somebody. Jesus wasn't going to do that. Jesus says he, he would not strive nor cry. It says... A bruised reed shall he not break. A smoking flax shall he not quench. Till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. We read it today in 2 Corinthians 10. Paul said, I beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Who in, the, who in presence am base among you. But being absent I am bold towards you. It's amazing to me that Paul, who was, we know, a tough guy in a whole lot of ways, he was beseeching his brothers as he was, his life was coming to an end, as he, he felt somewhat desperate himself. He's, he's, he can't get to these people to deal with them the way they need to be dealt with. And he's like, listen, I'm beseeching you by the gentleness of Christ. That Paul saw him that way. Romans 2 says, do you think... Lightly of the riches of God's kindness, his tolerance, and his patience, not knowing that it is kindness that leads us to repentance. I wish I had the gift of patience for that. I want so much to see the gentle work of the Holy Spirit work in my children, but I don't oftentimes have the patience. I keep praying that my kindness would lead my own children to repent because I want them to be godly children. As your pastor, 2 Timothy 2, gives me an admonition, it gives our brother Andy an admonition as an elder. It says, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but he must be kind to all. Everybody say kind. Kind doesn't sound very powerful, does it? Able to teach, patient when wrong. When he corrects, he should do it in gentleness. Everybody say gentleness. He says, correct those opposing people with gentleness. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. There are times, and and, uh, I've been thinking about this. There's a scripture where it talks about, rebuking people openly 
And I was talking to some people. I'm like, I don't know if I'm brave enough to do that. Like, could you imagine, Becky, if I thought you were really messing up, you know, or Derek? And I'm like, Derek and Becky, I'm tired of you people not doing what you... I mean, could you imagine that? I'd be like, would, would that still... That, would that be it? And then I'd go, you can't leave the church, guys, because it says I'm supposed to do it. And I was trying to do it. Maybe I did it wrong, but... So I, I literally was thinking, like, am I, am I God's man because I don't publicly rebuke people? And I'm, I'm actually sort of struggling with that. So don't get scared if I try it on you. How many would like to be publicly rebuked? Wouldn't that be great? Okay. Bill. Bill's up for it. Bill! Ch- if you're going to bring chocolate donuts to church, do enough for everyone. Something like that. I've done it. I've done it. I've done it. I feel better now. But he says that when the man of God does with gentleness bring correction to people, you know, more and more, I'm either getting old and liberal or something, but, but I, I used to see people and I'd say, these people are obstinate and they just, need, they just need to be dealt with, you know. And more and more I'm going, you know what, they're dealing with difficulties and they're having stress in their life and they're having hardship. And I just, it's like, I, it's like not only am I getting softer here, I'm really pretty tough still, but... But there's, there's a softening that's happening in my heart. And there are times, I believe, and the scripture says here, it says, it says that, that if we do this gently, okay, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth, they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Remember we talked about this two weeks ago? The snare of the devil? Having held them captive to do his will. I'm telling you the power of gentleness. You get a guy who's sideways and he's angry and he's looking for a reason to cause trouble and whatever and he's irritated. Maybe his back is hurt. Maybe he's sick. Maybe he's having a hard time. And you can come right at him and you can deal with him because he needs dealt with. But Timothy's like, you know, if you come to him gently, maybe you'll help him. Maybe you'll save him from, he'll come to his senses because he sees how gentle you are. People that get in a bad way because the devil is tormenting them, they don't respond real well to frontal attacks because they're already being attacked. They already feel held captive. They already feel like they're in a desperate situation. But if you can come alongside them and you can put your arm of love around them and you can be gentle with them, you can lead them out of their deception. James chapter 3, describing wisdom, says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, It's peaceable. And then everybody say, it's gentle. Easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruit. Nathaniel was talking about a concept that I really, I think is something that we could all get a hold of. Some people say, well, it's hard for me to be tough, you know, and hard for me to be gentle at the same time. But but there are things that are not opposing, but balancing. Everybody say balancing. God calls us to love justice. And He calls us to love judgment. But He also says, what's greater than that even? Everybody say mercy. Mercy. And so mercy balances justice. It doesn't do away with it. It doesn't negate it. You wouldn't need mercy without justice, right? Justice, uh, mercy exists because of justice. It is dependent upon it. And in the same sense, this wisdom... That we have for wisdom to be the right kind of wisdom, it has to be balanced by pureness and peaceableness and gentleness, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. All those things are the balancing to wisdom. Knowledge in and of itself is a a powerful force, but it can be a powerful force to hurt people. To be right. You ought to do the right thing. They ought to be doing this. I can't believe they don't do that. That's all harsh. It's not peaceable. It's not gentle. It's not entreating people. We just look at them like they're idiots instead of loving them. And God is calling us, everybody say, to be gentlemen. You might say, I'm not a man. Yeah, I know. But God's people, God's 12 that he sent out, they were men. And if he called them to go and send forth the kingdom, the Bible tells us that the work that they started is our work now. And that we are called to in the church and we are called to in our families and we are called to as we advance the kingdom around the world. We are called to do it as gentle people, gentle people of God, gentle men. Amen?
I know this sounds like a real gentle, sweet little thing, and it is. But if we can grab a hold of it and we can infuse it like onions into all of our things that God has given us in this garden where his fruit grows, then I really believe we can be more like Christ. This gentle Jesus, meek and mild, is not one to be despised. He's also the one who braided the whip. These things balance, and they call us to moderation. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we see here in Matthew chapter 10 a call to gentleness. To be harmless as doves, as we are well aware and we've been taught to be wise as serpents, Lord. Help us, Lord, to have those things in balance. Help us to understand that we are sheep among wolves and that they will hurt us. And they can. But God, the power of your gentleness within us and coming out of us, Lord, can help us. Can help us to shed forth the light of the kingdom, to give a picture of you. For when people see you, Lord God, they are drawn unto you. Lord, our, our calling, Lord, is to draw people to you. To say, come unto you. And as we do, let us understand that in doing so, we must do so as gentlemen. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.